Thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode of the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. Well, we're in between seasons two and three right now, and so I figured I'd dig back in the archives and drop some bonus content for the next few weeks to give us some food for thought as we wait for season three to come out. And as I was digging, I found this teaching from about five years ago that I recorded on a Sunday morning subbing in the pulpit at Calvary Chapel of Oklahoma City. You'll hear in the intro at the time, we were not at the church too often. We were doing a home fellowship in the eastern side of Oklahoma County, but I got to fulfill the pulpit that day and be able to preach from Mark chapter 6, a very famous storm of Jesus in the boat with his disciples. And I was surprised myself to listen to it, how much it was speaking to me in this moment. Aaron and I have been faced with some challenging opportunities lately, some great opportunities, some opportunities from the Lord, but really the only picture I've been able to see is that picture of being in the storm and Jesus beckoning Peter to step out of the boat and step onto the sea. And while that isn't directly this passage, that's a related passage. It really spoke to me about getting out of your safety zone. God often will call us to get out of our safety zone. We like safety. We like routine. Uh, we like to protect ourselves as much as possible. And God ignores that sometimes and says, hey, you over there, come over here. It might be a little bit dangerous. It might be a little bit sketchy. It might be a little bit beyond what we think we can ask or, or handle or we can uh, come up with in our own power or might or resources. But oftentimes that's actually the Lord saying, I've got something. I want you to go a little bit deeper. So I wanted to share with you for the next couple of weeks. This week we get into the first part of it in Mark chapter 6 as we talk about being safe. Good to be back here on a Sunday morning. We don't get out here on Sundays very often. We're currently doing a home fellowship out in eastern Oklahoma County, out in Hera and, and Choctaw area. Um, I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor who planted and pastored in Slovenia for 14 years before the Lord called us back to the United States. And we came to Oklahoma, where my wife is from, and it has a new season of ministry as we're teaching public high school, going into our sixth school year now. And uh, being a teacher, I admit that many of the lessons that we learn in school, many of the units that we study, the vocabulary that we learn, we forget. Um, they don't impact us very much, but there are certain class periods, specific assignments that can kind of stick with us a little bit. I remember one in my life that really stuck with me. I was in the sixth grade. I was in Mrs. Lung's class. And I was a particularly good student, and I often was one of those students who would get their work done first. And she handed us a lesson that day, and we had these papers down on our desk, face down, and she said, okay, don't turn them over yet, but today we're going to learn a lesson in following directions. She said, when I tell you to, go ahead and turn the paper over and just read through the directions, read through the instructions, and follow them, and complete it accordingly. She said, go. So we all turned our papers over. And I read, there was about 20 different steps on this sheet of following instructions. So I read step number one. It said, read through all the instructions before beginning. Pretty standard, pretty typical to begin with the instructions. Number two, it said, write your name at the top of the paper. So I thought I'd save some time. I began to write my name at the top of the paper because that's kind of a standard instruction to follow. It said, number three, draw a circle around these instructions. Well, I wanted to be proactive and save some time, so I circled the instructions at the top of the page like it said. Number four, multiply 22 by six and write the answer at the bottom of the page. I was fairly good at math, so I didn't need a calculator. Went ahead and just jot, jotted down that answer at the bottom of the page. Number five, things got a little more intense at this point. Stand up and whisper your name. Well, the classroom was quiet, so I, I stood up and I whispered my name, Justin. And I was proud because I seemed to be ahead of everyone else, being the first to stand up and whisper my name. Number six, got a little more intense, turn to the classmate next to you and yell, Eureka. 
So I turned next to me, Eureka! And uh, the list of instructions continued, and they grew in their levels of absurdity. For example, things like count to number 10 out loud in Spanish. So did that stand and say the first two lines of the Pledge of Allegiance? Sing these lines from this certain song. I was kind of proud because I seemed to be a true leader that day. I was one of the first to follow the directions, it seemed, and there were a few other classmates who were not far behind me. But a large number of our classmates seemed to be really slow that day. And they hadn't spoken anything yet. They hadn't sang any lines from any songs. They didn't be, seem to be doing the commands that were listed on the page. So as I moved down the page and completed all these tasks, I got to number 19. It was the second to the last instruction. And number 19 said, go back to instruction number two. So I went back to instruction number two, and it said, write your name at the top of the page. So I wrote my name at the top of the page again, and began whispering my name again, and shouting Eureka, and counting in Spanish, saying the pledge, singing the songs. And those of us who were doing these tasks seemed to be in this endless loop of doing these activities, and the room got kind of chaotic as we continued these things, far ahead of some of our other classmates who sat there in silence, not seeming to do anything. Finally, after about 10 or 15 minutes of this amusing demonstration of following directions, our teacher, Mrs. Lung, who, by the way, was holding back laughter and tears, got up and stopped us. The few of us who had presented this show of random vocal expressions had jumped over step number one, which said, read through all the instructions before beginning. Instead, we had just started doing something without really knowing where we're going. And as we got to number 19, we jumped to the top again. Well, if we had really followed instruction number one, we would have read through all the instructions, including step number 20. Step number 20 said, now sit down, turn your paper over, and wait quietly for further instructions. The point being that we weren't supposed to do anything. We were simply supposed to take in all the instructions before proceeding any further at the voice of our teacher, Mrs. Lung. That's what the other classmates were doing, and me and my classmates looked like fools had clearly not heeded the instructions. The Bible is full of stories of men and women who were told specific things by the Lord, who were given direction, who were given instruction, who wrestled with following these things, but when they did follow these things, saw the blessings of God. Don't eat of that tree was an instruction to one man and one woman in the Bible. Get out of your country to a land that I'll show you to one man who obeyed. Build an ark to these dimensions and get two of every single animal. Build a tabernacle with these materials and it should look just like this according to these exact measurements. Name him John. Go to the street called Straight. Lay hands on a man named Saul. A lot of our experience as people of God is actually quite open-ended. Love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. But there are times that God seems to be very specific with us. And when he is specific with us, we need to obey in faith. We're in Mark chapter 6, and the disciples were moving and shaking with Jesus. Things were happening in the land of Israel. In Mark 6, they had just been on a missions trip, sent out two by two. They had cast out demons, they had healed the sick, they came back now and Jesus took them on a mini retreat to hear all that they did and all that they had taught. And the crowds came and infiltrated that retreat. 5,000 of them were there with no food, nothing to eat. And so there was this miraculous feeding. They picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. And after that event in Mark chapter 6, beginning verse 45, we get some very specific instructions from Jesus that disciples are supposed to obey. 
We read Mark chapter 6, verses 45 and 46. They say this, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. It says that Jesus made them get into the boat and go before him to the other side in verse 45. And that is actually an interesting way to word it. If you look back in the original Greek, the word there where it says he made them get into the boat, it's a Greek word, anakgozo. And this word means to necessitate or to compel or to drive to or to force with threats if necessary or to persuade. So let's look at that again. He forced his disciples with threats to get into the boat. He compelled, he drove his disciples to get into the boat to go before him to the other side. I wonder, was there an unwillingness on the part of the disciples? Jesus, we've been working all day. When is break time? Was there an argument or a seeking to negotiate with Jesus? Jesus, isn't it better if we just work this crowd right now? I mean, we've got 5,000, it's a captive audience. Was there a reluctance? Lord, storms look like they're brewing on the horizon. Perhaps this isn't the best time. Have you checked the weather? Notice how specific this is. Jesus says to them where to go and how to get there. Get into the boat and go across to Bethsaida. Did they have an alternate desire to go by land? Jesus, there's a Walmart. We need to pick up supplies on the way. Let's just go by land, not by sea. I want to visit my aunt as I go. Had they seen the weather report or were they getting weather alerts on their phone? There's a storm hitting. There's a cold front coming and we really should not be doing this. I imagine for Jesus, there were many times he had to make his disciples to do things. When you're making someone do some, something, when you're forcing someone with threats, you know what's good for them, but they're reluctant, they're holding back, and yet you and your will and your desire know that they need to go through that. And that's what we get here as we read this story, is Jesus knows and he's making them do this. But I imagine that there were many times that Jesus had to make his disciples do things. Because these are grown, independent men with a will and a mind of their own. Sometimes we have this pristine view of the apostles and other people in the Bible. When Jesus called upon them to leave their nets and follow him, they all turned in some kind of trance and said, yes, master, and began following him for the next three and a half years, not really knowing what was happening. That's not the truth at all. These are men who willingly followed after Jesus, willingly laying their nets aside to follow him, willingly putting aside their will to follow his will. And their will and his will may have conflicted one time or another, don't you think? The cross is great. We follow Jesus because we've seen all that's been offered to us in the cross as he's died and risen for us for our salvation. But being saved is more than just submitting at the foot of the cross. Following Jesus means submitting to his lordship as well. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. We love to focus on the cross part. I believe Jesus died and he raised for me. I am saved. But Romans 10, Paul wrote, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. 
that he's not only Jesus who died and resurrected, but he's also the Lord. He's the one who's in charge. When we come to salvation, we realize that we have made a total mess of our lives. And we come to the Lord and say, Lord, you do with my life what you desire. I've already done what I've desired and I've seen the direction it's taken me. Lord, you do with my life what you will and that which will bring you the most glory. And that usually lasts for about a week and then we begin wrestling with Jesus for the rest of our Christian walk. Lord, I still have a will and it always doesn't agree with yours. God was created in a very safe, secure, ordered environment, a very well-stocked garden if you go back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Everything was just right for man to have this optimum relationship with God. They could walk together in the cool of the day. They could enjoy creation and the relationship with him for which we were created. Once man is into, inserted into that creation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see a, see a new repetition enter. In Genesis chapter 1, it said God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout that entire chapter, and God created this, and God created this, speaking of his very nature, the deity, the one outside of time and space, the eternal one, God did all these things. Then finally on the sixth day, he created man and inserted man into this garden that he could have relationship with man. Right after that, in Genesis chapter 2, we begin getting a new repetition, the Lord God. Why is he called the Lord God now? Because man was now in creation in that proper position to submit and obey the one that had created him. The new repetition of the Lord God. That's our place. That's our position. And in that setup, in that perfect setup, in this perfect environment with a perfect God being under, in submission underneath him, man had a good, safe thing. Think about life in the garden. Man lacked nothing. All of his needs were met. There was no danger. There were no hardships. There was nothing to fear. There was no anxiety. Can you imagine a world without any of those things? No fear, no danger, no anxiety. Can you imagine the safety of the garden? That's what we were created for. That's where man is supposed to thrive, under the covering of God, where everything is safe, everything is secure, and everything is submitted. And in that scene, God gave one very specific command, one very specific step of obedience. He said, don't eat of it. That's it. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Until that point, we see many repetitions in the story of Genesis. God created things and it was good, it was good, it was good, and finally he created man and it was very good. The first time we see a repetition where it says it was not good, when he talks about this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says it's not good for man to be alone, but then he starts talking about this knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Think about that. God did a very unsafe thing in this safe environment. He gave us a will and the ability to choose and the perfect balance of creation rested in man's will and man's obedience sounds like a very precarious situation my um, aunt passed away suddenly when I was in college she was in her 50s and she had a heart aneurysm and just suddenly died and it was kind of a, a hard time for our family and I remember going to the funeral 
And I grew up in Hawaii, and Hawaii has a lot of different traditions. And one tradition that takes place when many people pass away there is they scatter ashes. So they cremate the body and they scatter the ashes at sea. And so my, my aunt was an avid woman of the ocean, and so she wanted to be scattered at sea. They, the family knew this, and so they followed through with these, this, these desires she had after she passed away. So after the memorial service, we headed to the beach to go through this ceremony. And as we got there, somehow my aunt's remains were in a box from the, um, from the um, crematorium. Yes, thank you. Well, somehow my grandfather, my 93-year-old grandfather, ended up with this box between the memorial service. Someone had handed them to him, and he, he's showing up. Now, my 93-year-old grandfather was physically pretty healthy, but had kind of started losing a little bit in his mind. He'd be the grandpa, grandpa that you'd see out and about, and you'd wonder why he was wearing my grandmother's shoes that had flowers on them. He just didn't really think about them when he put them on and went out of the house with the wrong shoes. So somehow grandpa ends up with this box that kind of looked like a cake box. And so he's walking up to the service at the beach, and someone, well-meaning person who was helping with the um, potluck sees my grandpa carrying this box. And she says, oh, I'll take that from you. So she takes it from my grandpa. My grandpa, great, someone's, someone's taking it. This is not in my hands anymore. So we all go to the ocean side to, to scatter the ashes, and suddenly we realize, where's Aunt Sarah? We start looking around, and we can't find the remains anywhere. And so this is kind of embarrassing. It was, she was very well-known in the community. There was over 500 people at her memorial service and her funeral, and we can't find my aunt. Took a little tracking down. We found out that my aunt was actually on the buffet table. She was in the lineup there for the potluck. So just a warning, there's a potluck today, but just I'm sure everything will be okay. Um, don't put Aunt Sarah's ashes in Grandpa Joe's hands. It's not a safe thing. Something's going to go wrong there, and it definitely did. When I read Genesis chapters 1 through 3, sometimes I wonder and say, Lord, what were you thinking? Why did you put the whole balance of the universe into man's hands? Why did you allow that this whole safety and security of creation would rest in man's will and man's obedience? Because I know man, I know my own heart, and I know how untrustworthy that is. And man chose, we read the story, man chose to disobey. Man chose to place his will over God's will. And we're still experiencing the loss in a fallen world today. We were created to be in a safe place in right fellowship with God, with all of our needs met as we submit ourselves and obey his every command. But instead, today we must venture out in an unsafe world, yet always longing for safety. Think of the insecurity of the world today as we look at this world. It's not a very safe place, is it? Turn on the news and you see there's the constant threat of war, terrorism, Shootings at country music concerts, the latest disease, storms, get hit by a hurricane, get hit again a couple weeks later by another one that comes through. Even your money and your identity is not safe with the data breaches, the hacks, the IRS even, the anxiety attacks, the panic attacks. This world is not safe. We were created to be in a safe place, but we are not in that safe place anymore. And yet, as man, we're trying to reestablish a, safe, a, a, a sense of safety and security in our lives. And oftentimes, we bypass God, the one who can present that to us, to find it in other things. 
We seek to be financially secure. If we can work just a few more hours, if we can increase our bank account by a little bit more, we might feel a little safer, won't we? We search for it in job security or professional security. We search for it in stable relationships. If we can just hold on to this relationship, if we can just keep the family intact, if we can just keep all this together, everything's going to be fine, and yet it never seems to be. We seek comfort in our stuff. If I can just get the newest thing or get the latest upgrade or get the next generation of this, I'll probably feel a little bit safer. If we can just keep ourselves entertained long enough to escape the world for long enough, then we feel a little bit safer. The Bible calls all those things idols. When we're putting our trust and safety and security in anything else other than our creator, that is an idol. And that will always leave us unsafe. That will always leave us insecure. Man is not doing well out here in this unsafe world banished from the garden. But the name of the Lord is a strong, safe tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. In an unsafe world, we can find our refuge and safety in him. And we start to realize that every time we run to other things to put our safety and security in those things, they're never safe and they're never secure. And God, being gracious and compassionate and loving, continually brings us back time and time again through our circumstances or through revelation or through rebukes or through reminders, I am the only one who can make you safe. And by submitting yourself to my will and my leading and obeying the word of God, those are the only things that can keep you safe. We are never safer than when we are obeying and doing the will of God. We are never safer than we are obeying the commands of God, whether they be in his word for all of us or whether they be something specific that he has spoken to you or to I in the quietness of our own hearts. There's nothing safer than being obedient to God, to his word, to his calling upon our lives, to the things he's directing us to. That's the safest place to be may not always feel safe and other people may doubt the safety even question our safety and sanity of what we're doing as we take those steps to follow him but if we're being obedient then God's in control and that's the safest place to be so if you're taking some steps or pondering taking some steps to take you out of your comfort zone seek the Lord don't rush into it don't be impatient in the abundance of counselors there is wisdom seek counsel seek guidance uh, do your pros and cons list but in the end it's probably going to require you to take a step of faith to step out of your comfort zone, to stay, step into something that is a little bit unsafe in the world's eyes, but is completely safe in the grander scheme of things and in the kingdom of God. Let's make a deal. You pray for us. We're taking some steps right now that seem a little unsafe as far as worldly perspective, but seem very safe in the things that God is leading us to do. And I'll be praying for you that you take bold steps of faith, even if it leads you out of your comfort zone. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are a strong tower, that as long as we're tied up in you and locked into you and clinging to you, Lord, that we will be safe, The righteous will run to you and we'll be safe. So, God, give us the grace right now. Give us the faith right now. Give us the clarity right now. Lord, we pray against deception and things that would lead us astray or fears that would come up that would keep us from being obedient to you. And, Lord, surround us with wise, encouraging counselors who will point us in the things of you. And in the end, Lord, as we stand face to face with you, may our eyes lock with you and we step out where we need to step out and that we feel safer than we've ever safe we've ever felt before it's in jesus name that we pray amen